Most youth ministry podcasts are made by youth leaders and used to share their ideas on how to engage with the next generation of youth ministry. But here at the Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church, we're going straight to young people themselves to find out what they want from the church. Like the prophets of the Bible, it is our hope that the voices of our young people will help inspire the church to better adapt to serve the now generation. This is Mountain Sky Prophets. My name is Court Von Linder, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs, and I'm the designer of NextGen and Inclusiveness Ministries for the Mountain Sky Conference. And I'm Amanda Daniel. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the coordinator of Young People's Ministry and Camping Ministry for the Mountain Sky Conference. You are listening to the Mountain Sky Prophets, and today we have a special guest, uh, Calvin, who comes from Colorado. Uh, Calvin, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Certainly. My name is Calvin Lavonis. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a current member of Park Hill United Methodist Church and a high school sophomore at Northfield High School. Through school, I am currently involved in swimming, theater, and debate, and I tend to prefer generally less athletic things, at least. That is my preference. How has school been? School has been well as of late. It's been interesting adjusting to the remote environments uh, common within 2020. But overall, I think it's been a definitely a learning experience in navigating technology. It's been an endeavor. It's been, it's been a trip around trying to figure out what we're going to do through this remote environment, how classes are to be most efficiently run, how to uh, set up programs that that allow learning to occur effectively while still being in a more virtual remote setting. Yeah, so has uh, swimming and debate uh, and theater, have has that all been affected? Well, theater certainly has been affected. That would probably be due to the fact that we can only have a limited capacity of people within the uh, theater building or uh, attending a show or what on. Uh, debate has been virtual as a result of everything going on in the world right now. And that has been interesting to deal with. It's a lot less fun to yell at people over the internet as it is in person, but we all manage. And swimming is, swimming's just swimming. I mean, it's getting in a giant bath of bleach and chlorine and chemicals. We've heard from other interviewees um, that we've had on the show about how they're handling the pandemic and COVID and online school or extracurricular activities. And there seems to be a common theme with a little bit of frustration, I would say, of just navigating remote learning and not really knowing week to week, are we going to be in person? Are we going to be online? And I'm curious for you and your school, are you entirely online or you have, or have you done a little bit of hybrid learning as well? So my school, Northfield High School, is at the moment and has been for this semester entirely online. That was after they had this little system of setting up weeks of, oh, we'll be online for this long and then we'll reconsider. And eventually they just got to the point where they were, where they simply released a statement saying, it's all online. Don't get your hopes up no more. We're not going to keep teasing you with like, ooh, maybe we'll go back in two weeks. 
but no, it's been it's been interesting to adapt to uh, virtual settings and to try and shift my schedule around to accommodate uh, differing class times. And how I'm going to manage things while I'm learning at home as opposed to in a classroom. It, it's been an experience. What would you say has been the biggest challenge for you since going virtual? Oh, I'd say the biggest challenge for me personally has been time management. And that being, I'm normally much more capable of budgeting my time, but I felt as of late, I've started to slack off a bit more with regard to when I do things. I'm honestly going to be trying to fix that and have been trying to fix that over the past several days and weeks, but it's, it's difficult to maintain the uh, rigor and strictness of a actual in-person learning environment at least to me, uh, when I'm doing it just over a computer in the basement in my bedroom, I mean, a little bit more difficult to maintain uh, focus. For a lot of your classes, do your teachers usually like hold class online um, as they would in person or have they adjusted how they're teaching online? Because I know that that's a common frustration for some folks is that how we teach in person and interact in person doesn't always translate well to online. So I'm curious how your teachers have adapted to that and what that looks like for you. This one's a fun one. So as of late, uh, most of my teachers have taken to using a small little program that will let them uh, take a slideshow and then uh, add things into the slideshow and then have us respond to the slideshow. But the interesting thing about that is that, well, in person, we would normally have assignments and whatnot that we would be doing during the class. In this, it's more being lectured at for the duration of class times, typically an hour and 30 minutes or so. And so it's been interesting to see like different aspects of in-person learning that have uh, popped up in virtual learning, while other aspects certainly have not. It's a bit less engaging, I would say, but it's been interesting to see how teaching methods in-person in classes such as lecturing have changed and become I'd say a bit less bearable in an online setting. Yeah that makes total sense and I know sitting and listening to a lecture for an hour and a half isn't always the most engaging in person and so online I know there's a bunch of added barriers to being able to pay attention and stay engaged and yeah I I hear you it's it's hard. So Calvin, you said you're from Park Hill United Methodist Church. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Park Hill UMC and what it's like being a part of that community? Uh, certainly. So Park Hill UMC, I personally love it as a church. It, between both a beautiful building and a really lovely congregation, I have enjoyed what time I have had here. Uh, I find it to be a very diverse congregation, at least from what I can see. There's a large percentage of people of different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, from different places, which has been quite educational and also quite enjoyable. One thing I will say is that as it has adapted to being online, I have realized how much I enjoyed actually being there in person, more than I did beforehand. But hey, we're all coping with things like this. Uh, I just, Park Hill is a very accepting and beautiful and loving and kind church, and I am very, very happy and lucky to be a member there. How has youth group been? Have y'all still been able to meet? So, with regard to youth group, uh, initially we were meeting 
in person, but in small numbers and in this little park that was nearby. Uh, that's ceased since. So right now, I believe it's uh, Zoom meetings at 11 o'clock, if I remember right. I might be off on the times there. But um, it's been it's been a journey. It's a lot of uh, trying to interact with people I would like to be in person with and like to talk to, but uh, via computer screen. But it's been interesting to A, see what the inside of their houses look like, because I've never seen that before, but also uh, to see how people's understanding of things or interpretations of things uh, differ when we're seeing things through an online setting or when we're talking to each other virtually. And it's also interesting to see how conversations flow differently or how youth group uh, functions differently when we can't all actually be together. I've enjoyed it. What have been some memorable online activities or gatherings you all have had for youth group? There was one where we we tried to play some board game. I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head, but we were trying to play a board game digitally, and that was certainly interesting. Like, Barbara, move the piece. Three, not four, three, count right. It's enjoyable to like try and play a board game and remember rules and manipulate little pieces on a board that's in someone else's house online. It's, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I think you're the first to say that y'all tried to play a board game. Tried and kind of failed. But, uh, <laughs> we tried nonetheless. So Calvin, oftentimes when we're talking to folks here, um, we've covered a pretty solid diversity of topics, I would say. Um, and one thing that tends to always come up is the biggest challenge that's facing your generation. So I'm curious from your perspective in the world um, where we're now living in a pandemic, um, I know people have brought up climate change before. There's a lot of things happening in the church, specifically in the United Methodist Church. Um, so there's all these big things going on in our world or in our church world. And I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think the biggest challenge facing your generation is right now in all of this? Well, that is certainly a large and difficult question. <laughs> and uh, between climate change, human rights, and many other issues, there's a plethora of things facing my generation and every other generation in truth. But uh, I would say the most potent and the most pressing, at least for my generation, is figuring out how we're going to navigate the world, what we are going to do with our lives. Because ultimately, the rest of the issues are expressions, at least in my opinion, of how we are going to change the world, but we must first learn to navigate a world if we want to change it. Um, not that any of the other issues are unimportant, far from that. Personally, I think as a church, it's to some degree an obligation of the church to help young people learn their place in the world, what they can do, who they are. But ultimately, it's also to some degree on the young person themselves to determine who they are and who they want to be in the world and to make change and think about ideals and solve other problems based off of that. If there was one thing you could change about the world, what would you change? There's a lot of violence towards people who are not of a majority in society. And I feel that that is a barrier to greater change on a myriad of larger issues. And I feel like starting to limit that violence and starting to work towards change on things like trans rights, LGBT rights, uh, equal rights for people of different races or ethnicities or cultural backgrounds. Like these are issues that need to be addressed, at least in my opinion, 
before we can move forward with more comprehensive change. Prior to talking about um, the things that need to be changed in our world, you kind of brought up young people facing that challenge of how, like, how to navigate our world. Um, and I think that your generation especially has a multitude of ways to try to figure that out. Um, and I know it looks different for each generation, no matter where we are generationally. And you had mentioned in that, um, that you think that the church should be providing some of the tools to help young people navigate the world. And I know some of it's our personal responsibility as well. And I'm curious, do you think that the church or your church congregation, even if you want to talk from your own experience um, locally, do you think that the church is successful at engaging with young people and providing them with the tools that they need to navigate the world? And then following that, do you think that the church is also accompanying them in this conversation of helping put an end to a lot of the violence that you named? Well, starting with the first question of uh, how is the church helping give young people the tools to do this? I suppose there's kind of like a two, two different directions here, which is there are young people who were born into the church, raised with the church. And I suppose those people get the tools of uh, the church tends to focus a lot on morality and justice, and that is a very good thing. And it helps people kind of navigate issues regarding such in the adult world, and also helps determine who they are, at least from a faith perspective. But then there's the second group, which is uh, people who were not necessarily born into the church. And on that, I feel that young people who were not born into the church oftentimes face uh, less attention from the church with regard to giving, helping those people find tools and with less outreach directly from the church. However, I believe the church can help those people find at least to some degree a religious identity if they seek such or can help them find a degree of morality or a degree of uh, moral understanding that would not otherwise be as easily available. So that is how I believe the church can give tools to uh, comprehend the world on a moral and uh, oh, interpersonal perspective. But with regard to how the church can or is or is not walking with uh, people to list to uh, help end the violence and uh, troubles that I named earlier, uh, that one's more of a case-to-case -case basis, I believe, because depending on the specific faith community, or the specific church in question that can vary drastically. Some churches do a great job of walking with people to uh, defend them, to help them create change that benefits them and other people in this world. And some do not uh, succeed in that measure, but ultimately I think the church should work with young people as they age to more effectively create the change that young people feel they must see in the world. I know at a lot of churches, you'll hear them say, well, we want more young people in our church. And I have heard from a number of young people, uh, including a lot of folks from my generation that don't feel spiritually fed by just attending church on Sunday morning. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Or do you think there's other reasons why we're not seeing a lot of young people in church today? Well, certainly some of it is that people are not feeling uh, spiritually fed, and although that is not an issue I necessarily feel in the entirety applies to myself, I know that it is a very real problem for other people. 
Uh, I think with regard to that issue, the church could probably do more in talking to people of these respective generations and actually asking them what the church should do to go forward uh, with helping increase or maintain membership within younger people and to help uh, help the church survive through generations and actually maintain the uh, faith communities that have uh, prospered in the past and are uh, sadly beginning to dwindle now to some degree. But ultimately, I think the church should uh, should certainly go extend beyond worship just on Sundays. It has a greater responsibility than that, and it can do more to show people faith and to show the will and to help do the will of God as best we can in this world and to help improve the world we live in. Calvin, you mentioned the church going out and doing the will of God, um, and I would say inspiring others to also do the will of God. That kind of language and that phrase, I think, gets thrown around a lot, and I think we all interpret it differently. So I'm curious, what does the will of God look like or mean to you? When I say the will of God, at least from my theological understanding, as limited as that may be, considering I'm not a seminarist student or a graduate of anything, but to me that means doing as scripture said, like feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, and just helping people and helping make the world a better, more loving place than it is now. At least from my understanding, we should seek to create the most loving, good, kind, and morally just world we can and try to eliminate many of the factors that cause pain, suffering, hurt. We should try and eliminate these and prevent them from harming more lives. I don't think I could have said it in any other way. Thank you for sharing that and for sharing your perspective in that. You also talked a little bit about, you know, the ways that the church can or should be engaging with people who aren't in the pews each Sunday and that they should be talking to people to figure out what that looks like. Um, so I'm curious then to you, like what does that look like for the church to be engaging with people who aren't inside the four church walls each Sunday or already involved in the community? Like what are the things that the church should be doing to reach out to those people? Well, with regards to that, I would say that the best thing the church can do to reach out to those people is just to be an active part of the lifeblood of the community around them. If you're, say, a church in a city, go help with city uh, with uh, charity organizations in the city. Donate to them. Uh, go help at events that need assistance. Like help people in homeless shelters. Go out and feed and uh, work in soup kitchens. Do what you can to improve the community around you, and that is probably the best way to reach out to those who are not already in the pews and show them the good work of the church and by extent the good works of God in this world. I think that's oftentimes something in my experience that I think can be a little bit neglected. Um, I know that in my own experience with the church, there is always big emphasis on service. And I felt as though, um, and I grew up in Columbia Falls, Montana, so a smaller rural-ish congregation wasn't super rural, but I remember that the church itself was very involved in the community, but the community itself was already smaller. And so whoever you were working with, um, with whatever charities or organizations or community events, there's a good chance that at least five of the people there were from my own congregation and then another five were from another congregation in town. And I think that sometimes in churches and in our acts of service, um, 
as we grow and get bigger, I think it's really easy to get funneled into our own church communities and decide that, you know, we're going to do a soup kitchen right here with this church, which could be a need, but what does it look like, kind of pointed out, to actually go out in the community and partner with another organization and put our face out that way and make those connections, whether that's on a church level or as individuals within the church, because then as people get to know us, then they kind of start to ask questions, right, of, oh, like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, what organization do you work with? And then it comes up that, oh, well, I'm from Park Hill UMC or Columbia Falls United Methodist Church. And then I think that that kind of connection and networking can build relationships with people to encourage people to come to our church and say, wow, if this is the kind of service that people do in this church community or in this faith. I think that that's something that I'd like to be a part of. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that and sharing that perspective. And I'm curious, Amanda, what else you would have to add to that too, or your experience with churches and service and how we engage the community? Yeah, I'm like you. I'm, I'm very used to being a part of a congregation that goes outside the, the four walls of the church and, and is doing things. Um, and I heard it explained this way, that church should not be a country club. It shouldn't be something that you have to be a member of to fit in and you you know it should be open for anybody and everybody and, and and it shouldn't just be the four walls of your church um, but i i definitely agree that a lot of our churches struggle with that I, I don't know if it's they don't know how to go outside the doors of the church and and if they just don't know what to do and maybe that's where the younger generations need to say hey come with me i'll show you how how it's done. Well, one important thing I try to remember with regards to this is that the church is not a building, it is a people. And so when we think about that, that means we should be working as people to connect with people and not necessarily hold ourselves to this select group who's within this building because that's not where help is needed all the time. Help can be needed in other places. God's will is not just to do good for the few people who go to one specific church or to go to who worship this specific faith. God's will is to go help every person. That is why we that's that's morality. That's that's love. Yeah, let's hope the people that need to hear that are listening. It kind of sounds like to me, Calvin, that your experience with faith and the church has kind of created this the sense of, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but this idea of service and engaging with the community and I mean, doing God's will, which it's to you is going out and helping those who need it, feeding the hungry, etc. How else has the church influenced your understanding of faith and how we as Christians participate in the world? One thing it's taught me is to not assume bad, is to not assume bad things of others. Don't just try not to assume ill intent or just trying not to belittle people or uh, make judgments about people beforehand because the truth is people are as they were. people are as they are and the fact is we should try and love everyone who we can and also try and help people shape their own lives for the better as well because when people can have uh, the ability to change their own lives as they see fit especially when doing so in a way that can create love and harmony, we should certainly encourage that because that can drastically aid the world. 
I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think that that idea of love has been really challenging in our world right now, where it feels very divided. It just, I don't think it feels divided. I think it just is divided. I think that it was clear um, past few years and this election season showed it, not to like get too political here or anything like that. But how do you think that that way of loving one another fits in a time of division where we do seem to be so like at odds with one another? What does that love look like? I would say that in a time where there is so much division and polarization and hostility, that that love is both more challenging and more needed than ever before. I will also say that it's difficult. It's hard. It's hard to love someone you don't agree with. It's hard to love someone if uh, there's uh, discomfort or open hostility. And we need to try and just try and learn and work with other people and try to see things from different perspectives, even if we don't agree, even if we think that someone is wrong. And also just see the fact that we're all human beings. We're all living people. And we can all at least hold that in common for as long as we exist. And where there's at least some small shred of commonality, there's a chance to connect with someone else and create something much better than the polarization and division that has so harmed so many people. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on social media regarding this topic? It, it seems like with social media now, people are able to share more about themselves. We learn more about each other where some, some folks feel braver to express themselves on social media. Do you think that's contributed to the division? So here's where I have uh, limited experience because I myself don't use social media by preference, not by requirement. But um, I would say that to some degree it's emboldened people and that emboldening can both cause negative and positive effects in that it does in some cases create places of positivity or places of good, but it can also contribute to animosity. And so with regard to social media, I just say be, that people should be more aware in general of what they're doing with it or how they're interacting with it or other people on it. Um, I would say it's something we should be cautious of, but not something that it's certainly not some horrible thing, but it's something that we should be tentative with something that can do good if we use it for good, but we should be very careful that it does not go the other way. Those boundaries can absolutely be difficult, especially when we're separated by so many layers on social media. So if I'm just looking at like Amanda's Instagram feed, I'm sure Amanda's probably, I don't, I don't know, I actually don't think I follow Amanda on Instagram, but Amanda's probably only sharing her like the best parts of her life and maybe not like her parts where she's feeling beaten down or having like a really hard day. Um, and then, I don't know, she could share something that I could disagree with. And because of that screen, it could be so easy for like me to dehumanize Amanda and kind of instantly react and not pay attention to my own emotions. And so I agree that there is these hard and like hard to find and discover boundaries, I think, when we are engaging with each other online. Um, that make it really easy to dehumanize one another, to divide each other, and to not really know where the other is coming from. But then it can also 
be a platform where we can get funneled into whatever it is that we believe or that we think and kind of um, explode those ideas, so to speak. And so you said, Calvin, that you aren't on social media by preference. And I'm curious because I've heard that from others, um, friends of mine too, in my own life and people your age as well. Why aren't you on social media? Like what has, um, yeah, fueled that preference for you? I will admit part of it is just wanting to be different than a sibling of mine. But that being, but that aside, I will also state that personally, I am tentative of it and I'm not sure how much I trust myself on social media. But also I just, I prefer to interact with people in general in person because I feel that there's a level of emotional communication that can't be achieved over a screen. And also I just don't feel the need to plaster myself over the internet with a ton of images of my life. I don't feel like other people need to use the internet to know who I am. I like that. I've been doing a social media detox lately and it's been great. Don't need it really. Yeah, I am trying to work myself up to that detox. So to take a total 180 on the conversation here <laughs> as we kind of look at the time and what does spirituality look like for you? Do you engage in any spiritual practices? Um, do you read the Bible? Yeah. What does spirituality look like for you? So I most definitely do read the Bible, but one thing I've learned that I enjoy is I enjoy reading the Bible when I'm outside or in a setting where I can actually see uh, nature in some setting, because to me, understanding or feeling the presence of God is a lot easier when I'm in a place where I'm like, oh my God, there's like this beautiful ray of sunlight hitting a piece of grass. Like there's only a beautiful entity could have made this. So for me, I would suppose it would be a combination of reading scripture and just trying to appreciate beauty wherever I can find it in the world around me, including, I would say, in the complexity of a human expression and human existence. I recently worked through a devotional and um, last spring, I think, right at the start of the pandemic. And one of the spiritual practices that the writer mentioned was reading, like, I think Psalms, um, in nature and just paying attention to like the how different that experience was reading the bible outside and within creation versus inside the four walls of our house or our church and so i think that's pretty cool that that you found that for yourself and found a benefit yes the 2021 goal for me i'm gonna read the bible more is there any scripture calvin or um lessons in the bible that have influenced you and your life in the world or your relationship to God, especially? Uh, there's a lot of them, but uh, my personal favorite piece of scripture and uh, one that I personally enjoy is um, the uh, story of Deborah from the book of Judges. And I just appreciate the moral of essentially with faith in God and also appreciation for the world around you, you can weather through almost any storm. Amanda, do you have anything else for Calvin? I don't, uh, but I, I will say I always feel so inspired after we do these interviews. So thank you, Calvin, for sitting down with us today. Thank 
both of you for inviting me here. Absolutely. Awesome. Those Mountain Sky Profits. And yeah, thanks again for being here, Calvin. Thanks to our listeners for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Mountain Sky Profits. Mountain Sky Profits is brought to you by Young People's Ministries and Next Gen and Inclusiveness Ministries of the Mountain Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church. You can find us at www.mtnskyumc.org. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you tell your friends to listen in too.